0: Today, the title of my message is Conformed or Transformed. Bow your heads with me as we uh, offer another word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is poured out upon us. Thank you for your presence that is here. And We ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every heart. Let us all uh, receive the message that you have for us today. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Conformed or transformed. I'm going to be talking about compromise today. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. You know, um, compromise isn't always a bad thing. Uh, we seem to always look at it in a bad light but but looking at the life of Paul, Paul was an evangelist. Paul was someone who could reach anybody, no matter who they were, no matter where they came from, no matter where they were at, in their walk, Paul could reach them. He could speak their language first Corinthians chapter nine nineteen through twenty three says for though I am free. From all men I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I become as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law not being without law toward God but under the law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So compromising uh, can be a good thing sometimes. But where do we draw the line? Where, where is an overcompromise? Where is, where is an undercompromise? Um, the great Christian reformer Martin Luther, I think, answers this question very plain. He says, peace if possible, truth at all costs. We cannot compromise on truth. And thinking about this, I can't think about that statement without thinking about the the statement that, that Pilate made. What is truth? In Luke 23, uh, verse 4, it says, Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Now, this is, this is when Jesus was, was taken by the Jews to Pilate because they wanted to have him crucified. Pilate knew exactly why that the Jews had brought him To him because they were jealous. They didn't like Jesus. They knew, he knew that Jesus hadn't done anything against the law. They had no reason to bring him to Pilate. But Pilate said uh, in verse 16, therefore I will punish him and then release him. First, he's saying, I find no basis for a charge against him. This man is innocent. But then he says, I will punish him and then release him. Well, what's going on with Pilate right now is is what goes on with many politicians. They are willing to bend uh, the truth or bend what is right, bend justice, just to appease the crowd. He's willing to compromise a little bit because he knows what the Jews want. So he's willing to compromise a little bit, just a little bit, a little compromise. But in that small, seemingly small compromise, Satan saw an opportunity to gain ground on his weakness. Because when he saw Pilate and his willingness to beat a just man, he turned to the crowd and got them so riled up that Pilate, he saw that I I don't have a choice now. It's gone too far. So our Jesus was crucified because of a little compromise. You know, I believe that nature is is a second Bible. Uh, I believe the, the Bible is very plain. In creation, everything was good. Before the fall, before sin, I believe in everything that, that you saw in nature, you saw a lesson, a lesson from God, a lesson about the goodness of God, a lesson about... Uh, the, the character of God. And even after the fall, we can still see this. We still see the goodness of God in nature, but there are also other lessons, lessons about what sin does. What sin has done to nature and what sin can do to our spiritual lives as well. Has anyone here ever heard of the tropical banyan tree? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, Christina. She always everything I mention, she always knows what (laughs) what tree, what flower I'm talking about. But the tropical banyan tree, um, its name, it it gets another name, and it's called uh, the strangler fig. And it gets this name, how it's planted, it, usually a seed is dropped in the foliage of the top of another tree, and as the, the seed starts growing, roots start going down, down the sides of the host tree, looking for some nourishment, looking for some dirt. So it gets down to the bottom of the trunk, and when it reaches the dirt, it starts, the, the roots start widening, and they fuse together with each other, creating a lattice all around the trunk of this tree. And then what it does is it starves the host tree, keeps it from getting any nutrients, any sunlight. And before you know it, the host tree has died and rotted, and the strangler fig is standing in its place. Now, this is a lesson of what one little thing can do to the spiritual life of a Christian. It, it can completely take over. If we continue down this road of compromise, the spiritual life can be gone, can be destroyed, and a new master standing in its place. When I was, uh, back when I was a kid, Satan, I believe Satan has a new rationalization. When I was a kid, you know, everybody everybody always told me, you know, don't do drugs. All these kids are gonna they're gonna come and tell you, uh, hey, you wanna smoke a little bit of this? All all the other kids are doing it, right? That was that was Satan's rationalization when I was a kid, was everybody else is doing it, so why don't you do it? But today I think he's using uh, something a little bit different. I think he cycles through different different rationalizations that he tempts us with. And, and today, I believe uh, the rationalization that, that he's using most is just a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> just a little bit of this won't hurt you. Just compromising, you know, with on your beliefs in this, this little thing just one time is it'll be all right. Just take a little drink. A little bit won't get you drunk. But <clears throat> you know what this this really isn't a new rationalization at all. If you look back at the story of Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Now we, we all know about Lot. Lot left with his uncle Abraham, and was he not worshiping the same God that Abraham was worshiping? Was he not sacrificing at the same altar that Abraham was sacrificing at? They were worshiping together. He knew the true God. He worshiped the true God. And what was, what was the reason that they separated? Can anybody remind me why they, Abraham and Lot went different directions? They had too many possessions. Uh, Lot had too much. Abraham had too much. we, we got to go separate ways. The land cannot sustain us. So Lot, well, it looks good. Looks like good land down there. There's some heathens there, but boy, it sure does look good. i think I'm going to take that direction. So he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now there is no doubt in my mind that <clears throat> that Lot had full intentions of continuing to lead his family in the worship of God, the true God. He may have, he may have even said, you know, because because where was where was he at whenever the angels came to the city to destroy it. He was, he was at the city gate. He was living in the city. He was no longer camping outside like he was when he left Abraham's side. He was, he was living inside the city. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Lot may have even rationalized with himself, you know, we, we might even go in there and, and, and convert some of these people to worship Jehovah. Good place to go. And so, Lot... Intermingled his family with, with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he left Sodom, all he had left was himself, his wife, and two daughters. Everything else was gone. Swept away. Listen to what Lot's rationalization is whenever God tells him, okay, You need to get out of here. You need to get out of here fast because it's getting ready to get destroyed. You need to flee to the mountains. Lot says, I don't know if I can survive in the mountains. Genesis 19, 20. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? Now, how long did Lot live in that little city? Not very long. Lot saw that the same evil prevailed in this little city that did in the rest of the cities in the, in the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he went to the mountains. So now, all, all Lot has, he's living in a cave. He has his two daughters because his wife has been turned into a pillar of salt. Just him and his daughters. That's all he's got left. And if you continue reading the story in Genesis 19, you see that the influence of the heathen city did influence his daughters as well. Um, a wicked people were came from that mess, but you know lot lot could have could have taken um he could have he could have learned something from joseph's story you know how uh, we need to we need to stay far away from evil we don't even need to get close to it uh when when joseph was sold into egypt and potiphar Potiphar's wife uh, trying to get Joseph to commit adultery with her. Genesis 39.10 says, So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed to her to lie with her or to be with her. So Joseph, he he was not willing to compromise on this at all. He, He did not say, I can't do this, but I'll let you give me a back rub. He wouldn't even be with her. He would not be around her. He stayed away from the temptation. And that's what, that's what we need to do. We can learn a lesson from that. Now, now this is something that we all deal with, compromising, because we all want to be liked, right? And nobody, nobody wants to you know, stick out like a sore thumb Um, John Wesley, apparently one day he was riding his horse and while he was riding along, he realized it had been three days since anyone had thrown a brick at him, had thrown an egg at him or some kind of verbal assault at least. And he stopped his horse, and he said, Lord, is it possible that I have done something to sin against Thee? So he slipped off his horse, and he got down on his knees, and he starts praying and asking God, uh, what have I done? Have I sinned against You? And there was, there was a man, a rough man. He was, he was on the other side of the bush. You know, and he heard this old preacher, this unconventional preacher over here. Heard him talking. I'm gonna fix this guy, so he gets a brick, Choo. throws the brick. John Wesley's over here praying, you know, and the brick lands close to him. It doesn't hit him, it doesn't hurt him, but the land, the brick lands close to me. What he looks up and he sees, and he says, "Praise God, His presence is still with me." And he gets up, gets on his horse, and takes off again. <laughs> Now, you know, when I first read this, I kind of thought, this is a little bit extreme, you know, maybe. But Second Timothy 3, 3, verse 12 says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This movement... The Adventist movement was not started by people who were afraid of being different, of being afraid of not being liked. It was started by people who were willing to sell their land. And then when Jesus didn't come and they were laughed at and they were scorned, they still hung on to Jesus. And they went back to their Bibles to find out what happened. I've got to tell you, when I was studying for this sermon, I got convicted <laughs> because yeah, you know, there had been something going on. Everybody, everybody here knows I hang chicken, still hanging chicken, by the way. But um, we, we've got we've got a little program that we call See It, Stop It, and, and now it's even gone beyond that. But anyway, animal welfare is super important in the place that I work because um, the people who buy from us, they want their products to be treated well while they're alive, as well as possible. So if someone mistreats the product, they could, and they have stopped buying it before, and which leaves everybody out of a job. So uh, this is very, very important. So ever since I've been working there for about seven years now, um, I have to sign a paper once every six months that says, if I see anybody mistreating a bird, I'm going to tell the boss. That dude's going to get fired. So for seven years now, I have to admit on, on most of the things that have went on that, 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 that were being done to the chickens that weren't exactly nice by any means, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's part of the incentive that you need to tell. But for the most part, um, for the last seven years, I've been signing this paper, and when something happens, what am I doing? Doing my job, just hanging chicken. I thought, wow. You know, I kind of rationalized things like, Lord, well, you know, um, I'm trying to witness to these people, right? If I just start ratting on people and people start getting fired left and right, um, I won't be able to witness to them anymore. And everybody else will be like, oh, this guy, don't listen to anything he says. But you know what? A Christian has to stand. On what's right, a Christian has to do what he says he's going to do. If he's obligated, if he signs a paper and says he's going to do something, he needs to do it. So, I decided this. This is it. This is the day. I, I'm. I'm going to have to. I don't want to see anybody lose their job. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look like. The extremist, just because I don't, I don't want to see anybody lose their job. So I'm going to go around and I'm just tell every person, hey, this is what we're supposed to, this is what we all sign, and I'm not putting up with it anymore. If I see it, I'm telling. So that's what I did. I went down the whole line and I was just, I was just waiting. Whew, man, the response I was expecting. Oh, man. Some of these guys are, uh, Pretty hard to deal with, but um, I-, I told everybody on the line, and most of them, you know, just smiled and just kept hanging. Some of them looked at me like I was the biggest traitor who ever walked, and but but still, they didn't say anything. It was a pretty quiet day that day. So after I get done with this line, I'm hanging chicken, and then somebody comes and asks me, uh. Hey, hey, Micah, do you want to switch lines? So I switched lines. I'm like, okay, I got another line. I got to tell everybody on this line. I'm going to tell on you if you do anything mean to a chicken. So I told everybody on that line. So now I've told everybody except for one person, right? The one who asked me to switch. And that was one of the main ones that I was worried about. Now, now one of these guys... <coughs> He was really giving me a hard time. He was, you know, he'd be standing across the room, and every time I'd look over to the other line, he'd be. <laughs> and because I told him, he said, he said, you know, um, I've seen you toss a bird before, which I can't lie. Um, he said, well, I've seen you throw chickens before. I said, well, you know what? If you feel like I'm doing something that's not right, you need to turn me in. So that's why he's over here looking at me with binoculars, watching me, you know. So um, as time goes by, I'm thinking, well, everybody knows, because cause he's, telling, he's telling this this one guy who's really ticked at me for, for doing this, he's telling everybody, oh, Michael's just just waiting for somebody to do any little thing so he can go tell them, tell them they can get fired. And uh, so this one guy that I hadn't told yet, right, um, He uh, he's hanging beside me just earlier this week. And the Holy Spirit's telling me, I need to tell this guy too. I was like, what? I'm sure he already knows. Everybody, I mean, I've told everybody. They, I'm sure there's no sense in even telling them, But I feel like I need to tell him. So I told him too. I was like, man, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I'm signing the paper seven years now. Can't, can't put up with it no longer. If I see anybody messing with the bird. Which he's done a lot, but if I see anybody doing it, got to turn him in. So you may have already heard this, but um, I just want to let you know. So you make sure you know, because I don't want to see anybody lose their job. And this this dude's got a beard down to here, big old dude. I mean, just I was expecting a not a very good response. You know what he says to me? He said. Yeah, I already heard about it. You remember that day that uh, I came and switched with you? I said, "Yeah." He said, "That well, that's why I came and switched with you because I heard everybody on that line giving you a hard time, and I didn't want them, I didn't want anybody to make you mad or anything. So I went. I went to do that. I was like, "Wow, I can't believe that." So y- you will be surprised at. People's response sometimes, sometimes it, it won't be as bad as what you think it what as it as you think it would. But you know, right now we're dealing with a lot of little tests. We know that we we as Adventists are. Let me rephrase that: all of God's people, not just Adventists. All of God's people. Are getting ready to face the big test, and these little tests are preparing us for that big one. You know, I got I got I got a lot to say. I got to wrap this up. Refusing to buckle under pressure is not a strength. The strength to go against the flow of society, to go against what what people are doing, what people are are thinking is right. That's not something that comes from within oneself. That's that's divine strength we have to ask for. Only God can help us, give us the strength to to not compromise, to do the things that's right, even when it looks like you're you're just going to be hated by everybody. And one of the best examples of this is. I think, found in the Bible from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, starting starting in verse 2. We're going to go over this story just a little bit. And King Nebuchadnezzar went, sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to, to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This was a grand, grand festival. Uh, The amount of people that were there, the amount of effort that was put in to this dedication, to this image, was astounding. The distance that people traveled to come to this dedication, what about comparing that to the dedication of those who are serving the true God? One Christian writer puts it in this sense... He says. He writes, "Alas, that those who have the true religion should be so far outdone in these respects by the upholders of the false and counterfeit." Not never, never too far to travel. Never, never too much self denial. The Book of James says, "Do not." forsake assembling yourselves together, even more so as you see the day approaching. Do we as Adventists, do we believe that Jesus is coming soon? We believe that Jesus is coming soon. Here's my question to you. Then why is it that the attendance at our prayer meeting services don't look more like our Sabbath morning services. You might say, Micah, you can't compare. You can't compare prayer meeting to Sabbath. God made the Sabbath holy. It's a commandment. That's why I I come to church." Well, the one thing I have to say to that is keeping the commandments. Cannot save anyone. At first, for a long time, I was I was one who would come here, come to church because Sabbath is the day to do it. Commandments say Sabbath is the day to do it. But now, I have a different reason. The reason I come to church on Sabbath today is not only because it's a commandment, not only because... God made it holy. It is holy. But I come to church on Sabbath to meet with my everyday best friend. My friend who is with me when no one else is with me. My friend who gives me the wisdom to put one foot in front of the other. My friend who will never leave me nor forsake me. Deuteronomy thirty-one eight says, the Lord Himself will go before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Yes, He is with us all the time. But Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in My name, there are I in their midst. Jesus has a special meeting even in the middle of the week. The day is approaching. Let me continue reading. <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, this is, this is after this great dedication, everybody's got to bow down, right? Everybody's got to bow down. Or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will not compromise. They will not Bend down and tie their shoes. They will not go step behind the rock. And the king brings them before him and he tells them, I'll give you another chance. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt And the form of the fourth. is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Here's the point I want to make about this story. All these people came for the dedication of this image. Where was their focus after these events? Well, what about the image? It was lost sight of... What image? The focus was on these three men who were willing to give everything to do what was right, to do, to not compromise. And because these three men would not compromise, the God of heaven was glorified among thousands and thousands of people. And those thousands of people went home and told more people. I want to encourage you today that your witness, when you choose to do the right, even when it seems like the consequences are going to be so so big, God wants to use each and every person here. I'm going to read this last quote and then I'm going to stop. It is God's purpose to manifest through His people the principles of His kingdom, that in life and character they may reveal these principles. He desires to separate them from the customs, habits, and practices of this of the world. Wonderful scenes are opening before us. And at this time, a living testimony... Is to be born in the lives of God's professed people so that the world may see that in this age when evil reigns on every side, there is yet a people who are laying aside their will and are seeking to do God's will. A people in whose hearts and lives God's law is written. God expects those who bear the name of Christ to represent Him. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're asking for your strength, and we know that you are willing and you are ready to manifest your character in the life of each and every one who, who will come to you and ask. We thank you for giving us the strength to stand firm for you, to, to go against the flow that this, that this world is flowing Continue with us throughout the rest of this week and give us uh, the strength and the courage that we need uh, to do your will always. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen.